The Inspiring Competence Podcast is brought to you by Glabnor, the burning demon of suffering. Every moment is eternity with Glabnor. How's everybody doing? I like that. Sounds uh, sounds like a powerful name. I'm going to use that somewhere. <laughs> okay, so everybody uh, just put the stomp down on this uh, troublesome ghoul. And yeah, he, he interrupted your... He interrupted your uh your camping. Uh so I guess everybody just goes right back to uh goes right back to sleep. Yeah, but before that I heal up uh Elksy's of her um Ah, uh, okay. Dex damage and I heal my health points that didn't do so well. Alright. I was about uh, to say, Elksy hey, you need some help. <laughs> <laughs> Elksy uh, uh Elksy's yeah, looking pretty beat up herself. Alright, well, I don't have that many spell slots left. Here, I got her. I'll hit her with a, a Cure Serious. Okay. Right, I got one more Cure Moderate. How much do I heal when I go to bed? I can never remember this. It's your level. My level? Yeah. Elksy heals 20. Okay. Still very much hurting. 21. Still very much hurting. Okay, right, I got I got one more for Elksy. I got it. Oh, okay. And another oh, 25. <laughs> And another 25. All right. My third level slots do not get used for much. Let me <laughs> heal. <laughs> That's literally my last spell of the day here. All right, 14. Man, Elksy, uh, Elksy still got... She could still use another one of those. All right. Well, take that 14. All right. And that's literally all I have. Oh, but I leveled up, didn't I? Uh, we're going to go over that after you guys wake oh, back up. Fuck. I mean, I, I completed my healing hands finally. It just took a little help from Richter and um, yeah, the original um, concept. I do. I have like six first level spell slots left with Cure Light Wounds, so we just hand wave that I top Elksy off with that. Yeah, we can. <laughs> Since we're about to rest anyway, unless there's more surprises tonight. I remember Elksy like definitely taking damage, but like I don't remember taking this much. She got hit with the centipede. Oh, was that, and the, was that the tar, tar pit. thing? Yeah, the tar yeah. pit did a bunch of damage. Ten d six. Yeah, which you rolled badly on, thankfully. Yeah, you rolled a twenty-three on ten d six. Yeah, but then I got perfect sixes on the follow-up. Yes, yeah, um, the extra fire damage. All right. So yeah, does every anybody do anything uh, before going back to sleep? Um, like loot the ghoul they just killed. Oh, yeah, absolutely loot the ghoul. <laughs> I'm also gonna use. Um, I'm gonna blow the rest of my pearls of power to reprepare all my spells. What? But the danger's gone. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Seeing as that was an ad lib from the actual AP, the danger's probably not gone. All right, whatever. I think you're being overly paranoid. All right, so the school's got some. Uh, magical hide armor that he's wearing uh, that looks like it's comprised about 40% of uh, faces. I'm sorry, faces? Yeah, they're all just like stitched together. And then other other bits and pieces of, of people all compiled into this lovely plus two hide armor. Um, he's got a magical headband. A magical cloak, a magical ring, a magical amulet, excuse me, two magical rings, and a magical scythe. 
Oh, so seven spellcrafts. Scythe is what I um, use. I mean, I just go ahead yeah, and do your spellcrafts, can... but I could just automatically oh get. God. I can automatically get these. Jesus. I have a class ability that just lets me get these. I just need to spend like one minute with each item, and I just I know the properties of it. Mm-hmm. That's what he does. He shoots, and he knows things. <laughs> All right, so yeah, you got plus two hide armor. Uh, he's got a headband of plus two wisdom, uh, a cloak of resistance plus two, ring of protection plus one, amulet of natural armor plus one, a ring of eloquence, uh, fine etchings spell out the alphabets of four languages around the inside of this finely crafted silver band. Uh, the wearer gains the ability to speak and understand the four languages whose alphabets are inscribed on the ring. Ah, one ring to speak to them all. <laughs> and what languages are inscribed? Giant, goblin, orc, and undercommon. I think I speak almost all of those. The wearer retains the ability to speak in these languages even if they assume a form naturally unable to do so, such as wild shaping or other polymorph effects. The ring also makes it easier for the wearer to find the correct words to express themselves, granting a plus two competence bonus on bluff, diplomacy, intimidate, and perform oratory checks. Also, if the wearer is deafened and attempts to cast a spell with a verbal component, the chance of spell failure is reduced to 10%. That's fun. Yeah. And uh, then we've got the scythe. Yeah. That's probably uh, important. <laughs> Slow roll uh, it. Make me this, really want it. <laughs> this is a plus two wounding oh. scythe of frost. Oh, God. Uh, the, the wounding uh, property deals one bleed damage on a hit, uh, and the bleed damage stacks with itself. Yeah, that's the stuff. So you hit someone twice, now they're taking two bleed damage, hit them three times, now they're taking three bleed damage. Um, and then Frost, obviously, is an extra d6 of cold damage on a hit. And then when used to kill a living creature, including through bleed damage, the wielder can spend an immediate action to gain the benefits of divine favor for one minute. Uh, it has Go a caster on. level of 10th, so... That's a plus three luck bonus on attack and damage rolls for divine favor. Now we just got to find some living things to fight. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, this looks like a unique scythe. It is not just a, you know, it's not just some scythe. Uh, this yeah. was perhaps like a mark of station or something. Oh, dude, that's what I need is so people know, you know, that I'm not well, just I some think guy. That you're the king guy. ghoul. Yeah, I think Uhtred didn't, like, directly remember him, but was like, I think he was, like, one of those general, there was, like, the 12 super-named ghouls in the army of the Whispering Tyrant. He kind of, like, surmised he might have been one of those. Yeah, I- I'm not sure where you're getting 12 from specifically, I, but I, I you thought remember. You said it was 12. I, re- I remember I- you saying, like, yeah, because we tried to identify this specific ghoul but didn't roll high enough, so Alex was like, yeah, you remember, like, a dozen different ghouls, but, like, it could be any of them, so you can't really narrow it down. Okay. Uh, yeah, I'm sorry. I mean, maybe that's what I said, but it wasn't meant to be, like, there was this, like, magical number of important ghouls, like... That was just meant to be like, oh, there's probably dozens of important ghouls, but this is definitely one of them. So, uh, yeah, hey, Joe, I'll roll you for that scythe. Uh-oh. What? <laughs> oh, no. I'm just fucking with you. 
Oh, man. What are you going to do? Shoot it from your bow? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's his backup weapon. Or no, he just wants to sell it. <laughs> I mean, the only, the only reason more legitimate than I need it. Also, what kind of a scythe needs the wounding property on it? This sounds so funny. Yeah, uh, Teoblith and Arginus's watch continues and goes by with no more uh, nonsense. Well, that's light. That's nice. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, so who's got second watch? I think it's Randolph and Elksy. Mm-hmm. All right, give me perception checks. Oh, boy. Uh, yeah, that's classic. 17. All right. Elksy's 31. Uh <laughs> We make a good make sure that, <laughs> yeah, Alexi is especially vigilant for danger. Uh, and yeah, your watch goes by with no no issues. And then it's Uhtred and uh, Teobleth's watch. Okay. Get those perception checks. Uh, 40. Ooh. <laughs> I am damn vigilant after that friggin' ambush. You see the grass starting see to that. grow. All right, so with that, uh, it is the next day. Everybody wakes up and is feeling level 12. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So strong. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, who wants to talk about that first? I'll go. Nutri didn't get a whole lot of stuff. Um, so level 12, I got another arcana. I took the critical strike arcana, and if I... Confirm a critical hit, I can use a free action to cast a touch attack spell. And I can only do that uh, once per like combat encounter. So I won't just get a whole bunch of free touch attack spell castings off of all the crits Uhtred does. But, you know, an extra free spell in there is pretty sweet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you gotta make the caster level check and everything to successfully do it. Uh, yeah. Um, but that is a very cool spell. That's a very cool arcana, sir. Oh. Excuse me. You're excused. <laughs> um, for the two new spells, Uhtred took Ball Lightning. We're all pretty familiar with that. Tom uses it all the time. Um, but I'm actually pretty excited. The other one I took was Arcana Theft. It's essentially a targeted dispel magic, um, except you it's a melee touch attack and what and not only does this just dispel an ongoing like effect onto uh, a combatant it takes the effect that it dispels and it places it on Uhtred so it's just like straight up a buff steal whoa nice yep and since it's a melee touch attack spell I can do that all through my scimitar like normal mm-hmm. now it does that Based on the wording of that, there is an inherent risk that you accidentally steal a bad effect. Like, if if they have, like, a slow effect on them or something, uh, like, that's not automatically ignored. Now, the way dispelling works is if you have successfully identified a spell effect when you're doing your targeted dispel, uh, you can specifically call that effect out and dispel and target that. Otherwise, it just 
will it'll target the highest level effect first and then work its way down until your caster level is high enough uh, to apply. Uh, and if the first one that that applies to happens to be a bad effect, that's the one that gets dispelled. Yeah, it'll probably be used more as like a like an opener in combat before we have a chance to really put negatives on it. Just like, all right, combat starts. Uh, you probably have a buff on you. Whack. That's mine now. Yeah. Also with your spellcraft check, if you know that they buff themselves, right? Well, that's like if, if I see them cast a spell. Yeah, so I mean, like, right away you can use it and it would have value. And then or, if you see them yeah. using it and you know what it is, you'd be like, uh, that's let me get that. Um, you know, basic, uh, base attack, all that stuff. And that was pretty much it. Although, my Phantom Steed spell, at level 12 when I cast that, now my Phantom Steed can fly. So that'll be super helpful. That's awesome. (laughs) I remember a couple levels ago when you got that, you were like, oh, and at 12, it's gonna fly. I don't don't think it straight up flies yet. Doesn't it get airwalk? Is that what it is? Mm, I'm pretty sure it flies. It gets like a fly speed, I think. You can use airwalk at will for up to one round at a time. At 14th level, it gets a fly speed. Oh. At will, up to one round at a time? So yeah. Every round. So, it, but <laughs> yeah. it, but it, but it has to, it has to end every round on the ground. Otherwise, it falls at the end of the round. Oh, okay. Uh, I see. Every round at a time in a in row. a row. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. All right. Cool. Who wants to go next? Me. Oh. Who? I uh, I got some cool stuff. Uh. This greater spiritual interference, apparently I was getting a AC bonus and a save bonus when I was near Thalias. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is now plus four to me, and anyone else in my party, my allies, get the original plus two, plus two. And uh, I got a new fourth level spell, Freedom of Movement, so you can see that I'm getting progressively um, swifter and less being grappled and killed. Uh as well as my whole party. And mm-hmm. that's important because it's a touch spell. And Thalias can now deliver touch spells cast by me as long as he's within 30 feet. So I can cast something and then Thalias just be like, yeah, there you go. Got it. I think that range just went up, actually. To 50 feet. Yes. Yeah. So he can be pretty much, you know, nowhere near me and doing my bidding. I mean... As like a brother, your friend would do your bidding, not like a servant. <laughs> and then he got a uh, an ability called Devoted Servant. <laughs> and if I'm ever the target of an attack while he's not manifested, uh, even if I'm not aware of the attack, he just pops out and is there to help. So I don't have to be like, Thelias, get out here. He's just like, yo, like you're getting attacked. I'm here. Let's do so, this. So basically... Randolph's entire level up would have been perfect for the yeah. ghoul encounter. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Freedom of movement. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Auto, okay. auto Thalias. Mm-hmm. Yep. All right, cool. Yeah, super cool. More AC. Yeah, everything. <laughs> <laughs> All right, anything else? Oh, oh, oh. Big shout out to uh, Lord Richter. He uh, reminded me that, well, reminded and instructed, instruct minded me to uh finish off the healing hands thing 
and it is fully operational. I put the skills in the right place. I should not fail nearly as bad as I did the last two or three levels when this all started. All so right. healing hands is on the menu, boys. Lovely. Okay, uh, who's going next? Um, our genus. Well, not a not a big uh, level up for our genus. However, a couple cool things. He uh, he received six level spells, which. Uh, Alex, you might be familiar with this one. He received Disintegrate. Uh, I am familiar with that one. Yeah, yeah. It's almost like you used it last week, attempting to murder Hobo Matt continuously. You call Matt a hobo? <laughs> no, I'm calling you a murder hobo. I'm not, I can't be a murder hobo. I'm the GM. <laughs> I, I'm pretty certain you're like the GM is the murder hobo. Right, you're you're the he's, one who's sending things to slaughter us. He's more like American Psycho style murder, you know, <sighs> like an okay. axe. Okay, so a classy living room, uh, a classy yeah. uh, murder. Anyway, <laughs> uh, and then I also received a spirit deck, which allows me to um, draw. How many cards do I need to draw? Uh, oh. Uh, equal to my hero or level, level, which is, I think, five. So, yeah, uh, I could draw five cards, and then depending on what I get is how much uh, is how much damage I do to it. So, like, five if I get a card that matches mine, uh, and it just kind of progresses lower each time. But I get that seven times a day. Pretty cool. It's not a lot of damage, but it is force damage that is unavoidable. So it's a, a nice trick to have in your pocket. All right. And that leaves us with Teobleth. Yeah. All right. So 12th level for Teobleth. Um, the ability score, I didn't have anything at an odd number, so I just put it into decks. So I can, well, if I live to 16th level, I can then up that again. Um I got a new ability called Binding Circles. Normally, um, like I did before we slept this past night, I can do a magic circle and cause it to you know, protect us against a specific alignment. With the Binding Circles, I can put basically a little extra mental focus into it. And if a creature of the matching alignment steps into the circle, they are then trapped there for at least an hour barring an immediate reflex save that's so they have to make a reflex save or they're stuck within that magic circle for at least an hour or until I decide to let them out <laughs> um and I don't, I don't remember them getting a reflex save yeah I was literally just reading it it's when it closes they get a reflex save well yeah but you've already ha you already have the circle created when they're summoned, so I don't get think they get that reflex. Save. No, this is not a summon thing. This is like when I make a magic circle against chaos. If a chaotic creature steps into it, they get trapped in it. At twelfth level, right, but don't you just summon them directly into the circle? No, this is different. I have that that summoning ability to call on like an outsider to get information or something. Oh. But this is a separate thing. I can whenever I make a magic circle, I can spend an additional focus to make it a binding circle which basically turns it into a trap 
but it does only work with living creatures. It says, if a living creature of the corresponding alignment steps inside it, the trap triggers and binds the creature inside the circle. Um, okay. It has an initial, you know, reflex save of 10 plus half my level plus my intelligence mod. And if it fails, it has to remain in it, but gets a will save at the end of like an hour to try and escape each hour. But on top of that, I didn't get any new spells because Occultist is weird and gets all their spells each level up front. But I got two more points of mental focus and I shifted around my default allocation of said focus for each morning so that I'm now getting a plus six bonus to a physical stat of my choice, which is generally going to go into strength and a plus four bonus to all my saves. But the drawback is I no longer have functionally permanent sea invisibility. I still have the dark vision, but I lost, I basically just cut back on it. So I don't have sea invisibility anymore at all times. Good to know. Yep. Still have it as a spell, so I can still work with it. Just don't, it's just not permanent. All right, does that cover us? I think so. Um, before we do continue on, though, I wanted to, to mention, um, what is the Arasni's rapier up to? Is anyone, like, carrying that? Is that just hanging out in the bag of holding? What's going on with that? What's it, what's it up to? <laughs> uh, I thought it went to somebody to give them... There's like, you know, if you have a certain number of... If you have two pieces, you get an extra if you If you have one of them, you get a bonus on saves. If you have all of them, you get a plus two. And none of us had all of them. I don't have it. Like, I know uh, the Crimson Herald had it. Obviously, we took that off his body when he died. But I don't think anyone else ever really, like, claimed it. Yeah, I don't think anyone else could use it. I'm sure somebody's been carrying it around, but like nobody's like wielding it. Right. So I would assume in the bag of holding that uh, Randolph has. (laughs) Oh, so I do have it. (laughs) (laughs) You pull it out of the bag of holding and I'll be surprised. (laughs) Oh, yeah. What's that thing? Hmm. Well, I'm just saying, I don't have a melee weapon and that would be a decent backup to have in a situation where I, for whatever reason, couldn't use my bow. All you, brother. Okay. Any objections to me adding that? Nope. Oh, um... <laughs> we never really... Uh, who has that ring of uh, of speak right now? I don't think anyone claimed it. I would like to have it. Go for it. I've okay. already got two rings and... I'm not going to give up either of them for that, so I'm not going to fight you yeah, for it. Me too. I'm in the same boat. I don't think the amulet adds. I don't think the amulet adds any bonus to me. So if anyone needs that, and there was a ring of protection, Ooh. also. Honestly, I could. No, oh, I don't need the ring of protection, but I can use the uh, amulet. Okay. Doesn't sound like anyone has a problem with that. So we all set. Uh, I got the scythe. I'm good. <laughs> All right. Uh, so everybody is up and rearing to go. Uh, today has brought with it severe wind. And that is a minus four penalty on ranged attacks, minus four penalty on sound-based perception checks, and minus four penalty on fly checks. And it extinguishes unprotected flames and... 
protected flames dance wildly and have a 50% chance to die. Uh, so our genus would want to pull over Uhtred. Oh, shit. Uhtred, you get pulled over. <laughs> Shouldn't have been speeding. Uh, I don't know what I was doing, officer. <laughs> <laughs> um, Uhtred, uh... I feel like this was uh, something that we probably should have uh, gone over a couple days ago, but it <laughs> imagine it just slipped my mind. Um, yes, uh, so I was thinking to myself, if we're traveling with Arasni's lungs and we're working for Arasni. <laughs> uh, uh, um, don't you think she'd want to know and uh, with the ability to uh, immediately contact her, I can't imagine <laughs> that she's going to be uh, too happy if we, uh, if we wait until the next time we meet up. Maybe, but we don't actually know if those are her lungs. And if they are her lungs... She said it herself. She's in hiding right now from Geb and the Whispering Tyrant. I imagine if we were to tell her we have her lungs, that would be a pretty large temptation to leave the safety she has at the moment. I, you said working for her, Asni, but I for one am not working for her. Our interests are aligned presently, but I don't know that I trust her. Or maybe it better said, I don't know if I trust her motives. I, uh, <laughs> I, uh, I, uh, agree. Uh, the, the, the only... <laughs> The the only thing I would probably uh, say on this is, uh, oh, we're dealing with powers well beyond what we're suited for. Um, <laughs> um, uh, anyone with any sort of uh, arcane sight uh, would be able to see that go off from miles away. Uh... I guess the other portion to this, too, is uh, are we attracting more attention than what we want or what we're bargaining for <laughs> just by traveling with them? Uh, well, maybe. Maybe we are, but I'm not sure it makes much of a difference anymore. We're traveling into the heart of Gallowspire. I mean, there's undead everywhere. At this point, <laughs> I love your attitude and optimism, Utrid. <laughs> I'll follow you into hell and back, <laughs> which we might as well be in. I've never been to hell yet, but it certainly feels like it. I've heard it's lovely this time of year. <laughs> Just so everybody is clear, me as a player, I'm panicked about this, but uh, like our genus, I'm going to just play him off as, yeah, this is like, I'm ready for fucking whatever suicide mission comes our way. Uh, now, you said you 
pulled Uhtred over for this conversation. Uh, I am assuming that is uh, well, yeah. Tiablith out of the conversation. Yes. And how Randall. far? How far from Tiablith do you have this conversation? Uh. Ah, oh, gee, you're gonna do this. Um, I mean, yeah. it's hard to put like an actual number <sighs> on it because we're sitting here, like, you know, in our imagination. But if you were like in this situation in real life, like you would be able to appropriately gauge hearing distance. Uhtred would definitely factor in. He's an elf. Like, yeah. like Nick you, can't give you a number. I'm do you run Thomas into the forest a thousand feet away? or No, I think no. we would just like lag to the back of the convoy, right? Like make okay. sure the, there's no one behind us. And, like, it, it'd be one of those things where like, I feel like it's a lot easier in this situation, but you know, to pull somebody off to the side while there's, uh, while like somebody else is distracted and you're able to like hold a conversation without any sort of like issues. Um, yeah, that works great in TV shows. Well, I mean, uh, I've absolutely have done that in real life. Yeah, and maybe they overheard you anyway. Yeah. Um. <laughs> I mean, all right. Do you do you really want a number or like? Because I don't know what the layout looks like here. I mean, you guys are in a a small clearing. Uh, I think I said it was fifty feet across. I mean, I thought we were like on our way. I mean, you could be. I w- We haven't even gotten there. I said, okay, you guys get up, right? And then Tom says, our genus pulls Uhtred over and has this conversation with him. Yeah, he he did say pulled over too. Yeah. Yeah, I guess when he said pulled over in my head, I was like, oh, yeah, we're, like, walking, like, traveling. Maybe it's more like a, along the lines of, like, when we're packing up our own stuff and we're kind of just, like, uh, when I feel like people would be inside their own heads. When Teoblith doesn't say anything and walks off the cliff edge, then he'll come over and have that chat with you. <laughs> yeah, right. So I'm going to go ahead and say you have this conversation 50 feet away because you guys are being fucking politicians about... <laughs> how far away you are from Teoblith. Uh, and you're you're at a 50-foot clearing. Sure. So maybe you wait until Teoblith is at one side of it, and then you put yourselves at the other side. So sure. Teoblith, give me a perception check to see if you overhear this conversation. What? You're gonna uh, wait, hold up, hold up. Something? Wait, yeah, what is that nonsense now? Wow, that just feels like you're forcing what you want to happen. Yeah, that seems like a... Cause... You should at least give Matt the option. Oh, if I can sure. listen in, I'm sure. absolutely Matt, listening. Matt, do you want to overhear their conversation <laughs> about Erasmus? It seems like uh it seems like you kind of planted that idea into his head there. All right. Well, you I mean, guys are pro- you guys are pointedly trying to keep information from another PC. You pull the other PC to the side to have a whispered conversation. There is a specific DC on perception checks to overheal the the details of whispered conversations. There's modifiers for how far away you are, and it's very windy, which is giving him another penalty. That that wasn't... That's not... I don't understand what the problem is. The problem was the fact that, like, you're the one who You want to have this conversation with literally no chance of Matt overhearing it, but if all you're doing is pulling Uhtred over and assuming that Teoblith isn't going to, like, try to overhear it or even overhear it by chance, like, that's not how this works. I I just don't think you've played that situation the same way, uh, but, all right. Yeah, I'm here for it. Let's go. 
I'm just saying, if you guys are going off having a private conversation while we're packing up camp, I'm definitely going to try and listen in. He's going to have trouble listening, though, because me and Thelias are also having a conversation like we always do when we uh, wake up in the morning. That's fair. There. <laughs> and that one to my perception for a 22. Okay. All right. Diablet doesn't seem to, uh, to react to your private conversation. At this point, I would like everybody to give me another round of perception checks. Well, I guess I care about this one, so 39. Yeah, I'm going to net 20 this one for a 25. <laughs> Richard had a 26. All right. Yeah, 19. All right. In a uh, rare fit of incompetence, Elsie does not pass. Uh, but Teoblith, Uhtred, and Randolph, as you guys are breaking down camp, you notice a strange shimmer in the air. It's about a foot across in diameter. Uh, it's just hovering a, a few feet off the forest floor uh, like right in the center of the clearing and whatever direction you are looking at it from it looks it looks like two dimensional like there's no angles to it but every every direction you look at it from it's like it's like you're looking at it like like you're like facing it uh, the front of it uh, spellcraft or knowledge yeah, do we have any idea what this thing is? Neither. Either. Either. Uh, I'm assuming the knowledge would be Arcana then? Yes. Oh, spellcraft and Arcana are the same, so... Uh, I'll do one, you do the other? Yeah. Why don't you, which one do your better one? I'll do the opposite. They're both the same. Oh, wait. <laughs> All right, Genius you do, has you covered. You do Arcana, I'll do spellcraft. All right. I got a 24 on the spellcraft. And I got a 33 on the Arcana. Utrid, you are reminded of a scrying sensor similar to the one that you spotted several times. Uh, Teoblith, you uh, you have also identified this as a scrying sensor. There's not a way to like uh, trace it back, right? We just know it's there. I'm vaguely aware of a couple abilities that enable you to do that, but I'm positive that you guys don't have them. What if I hit it with my arcane theft? It's not uh, above. my way to scry. No, that wouldn't work. Oh, Alright. Um, now, I think I remember back when we were seeing them, when we were trapped in Rossler's Coffer, uh, they typically can either see, or they can hear, right? Uh... That was from when you identified it as specifically belonging to a clairaudience clairvoyance spell, gotcha. which gives you a scrying sensor and you have to choose either seeing or hearing. Uh, you're not sure which one you're, what kind of scrying sensor you're looking at, but Teoblith would recognize this as a sensor belonging to the spell scrying. And that gives you both visual and audio. And you can even, like, talk through it, right? Because in Skull and Shackles, Scram was well, using it to see and hear and talk to his mom. Well, that, his mom had set up, like, a, a sophisticated communication tool on her end. And then Scram right, was able right. to move it, kind of like a Ouija board. Um, Scram's mom, like, Stranger Things, the fucking lights yeah. on the wall alphabet thing, basically. Yeah. Uh, you're... I don't believe you can speak through a normal scrying sensor. But you can hear through a scrying sensor, so in theory, if I say something, 
they'll hear it even if they can't speak something back. Yes. Oh, it looks like we have an audience. We've been seeming to have quite a few of those lately. There's no reaction. Anyone you know? Or Nobody that I know. I mean, maybe. It could be. There's no way to really know. Um, <laughs> uh, do, do we know if they can move the sensor around? Hey, uh, <laughs> hey you, if you can hear us, uh, move your sensor up and down. Does no it? reaction. Would, uh, Theoblith know, like, how long, uh, the sensor would stay active for the spell? Yeah, Teoblith would know that the scrying spell lasts for one minute per level. Uh, although if it was a greater scrying spell, it would last an hour per level. And do I, I know like how how much it can move? Like how far it can move? Would it be able to actually keep up with us if we just kept moving? I mean, we could even just wait a half hour, see if it, you know, goes away. Uh, you know, the, the sensor can uh, move up to 150 feet per round. So yeah, it can keep up with us. Another few moments passes as you guys are trying to figure out your next move and the sensor just bleeds out into nothing. Well, I think it's safe to say somebody knows we're here. I imagine they've known for a while that we were around. Well, we're losing daylight, so on we go. Right you are. All right. Now, uh, like the forest. How how foresty is it? Oh, dude, it's so foresty. Like, is it like, you know, when a forest is super dense? and Or is it like, you know, you're in the forest, but there's open space between, like, the trees and stuff? Like, can I be airwalking on my mount? Well, again, airwalk just allows you to, like, clear gaps like you can, yeah, but also I don't. It's have not just to in on the ground with it. You can, it sounds like you in, do. Well, no, I read the spell and you don't. It, right, but, but it, it sounds the act- like the the Phantom Steed spell says if you it works for one round at a time, and if you're in right. the air at the end of that round, you fall. You start falling. It says, and the way Airwalk works is when you fall, you fall at like like feather fall. It's like slow. I think. Th- the way that that's worded is meant to be that you can't sustain it for more than one round. Like, it's meant to clear super wide gaps. Otherwise, that would be, like, completely I mean, pointless wording. If it functions Otherwise, like it's functionally spell, fly. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, if it says it functions like the spell, the spell says that when it ends and you're not on the ground... Right, but it says it functions like the spell, but then goes on to list more specific mechanics... Right, and so even so, even mechanics. at the end, it says even if you fall like Featherfall, you just don't take damage. You still wind up right. on the yeah. ground. Yeah, no, no, I agree. But like, I, mean, I can still be doing that and just feather falling to the ground, go up, feather fall to the ground. You know, I had a pair of shoes called Airwalks, and uh, they didn't do any of this. Huge letdown. All right, uh, what is the movement speed of your mount? Hundred feet. All right, so. Airwalk allows you to ascend at a maximum of 45 degrees. So that means that with a round, you can... You're basically... So if, if that's what you want to do, you're you're traveling 45 degrees upwards uh, for 100 feet laterally, and then you're 50 feet up. And then 
at the end of your turn, you spend a turn floating slowly back down to the ground. I wouldn't spend a whole turn floating down to the ground. Yes, you would. It functions like that's, Featherfall. That's all, that's all I would do for a turn is just fall? Uh, I mean, yeah, it functions like Featherfall. You fall slowly. Can I use Airwalk at will one time per round? So the next round when I just keep Airwalking? No, because then there's absolutely no reason for that limitation to exist in the Phantom Steed description. Yeah, the way Featherfall works is you fall 60 feet per round. So, like, if you end your turn um, 50 feet in the air. Yeah, okay. So you you ascend 50 feet with Airwalk. The next round, you Featherfall down. Yeah. All right, uh, so I'm going to need uh, survival checks from everybody. Why? <laughs> because you're walking through the woods. Oh, yeah. Uh, 20. 19. Would be nice to roll double digits on a single survival check. I put so many ranks into it, and I get We nothing. got Elksy. Oh, that's a 31 from Elksy. All right. So you guys have been traveling for about an hour through this very dense uh, forested area. And after about an hour, the forest kind of takes shape and it becomes more angular in the placement of the trees and vines. After a couple minutes of traversing through this new kind of terrain almost like you're navigating through like forested corridors it kind of dawns on you that you're in a city but the city itself is as completely overgrown as the forest that you've been traveling through but the city hasn't like had a chance to break down into like like settle down to the forest floor like it might normally so you have the structure of city streets and buildings and alleyways and growing around this structure is just more of this forest that you've been traveling through and every so often uh one of these buildings uh is like more apparent like you'll see like a stone wall with a window and a door that you could enter if you wanted to uh, and then you might take a turn and it's like a, a like a narrow five foot wide alley that turns a couple times and then it's just a dead end and you have to double back. And so it's just as dense of forest as it was before, but now it's, you can't just like meander through the tree line like you were before. You have to uh, tra- traverse through streets that are disguised as a very dense forest. Uh, Do we know of, like, a city that was close to Gallowspire? You mean knowledge history or knowledge geography? History. 34. 14 for geography. All right. Uh, you are very aware of the fallen ruined city of Adarak that lies within Ustalav in the haunted region of Verlich. The city was Whispering Tyrant's capital for more than 600 years uh, while he ruled uh, Ustalav. And it is at the center of Adarak that Gallowspire is located. Ah, it seems like we've stumbled across old Adarak. What's that? (laughs) Adarak was the capital 
of Tarbaphon's empire. We've, uh, seems like we stumbled into the <laughs> jungleified version. Jungleified? Is that a word? It is now. We stumbled into the jungleified version of his capital. Gallowspire should be at its center. And uh, Teobleth kind of looks around at the the foliage around that seems like it actually has some, you know, city planning, some order to it. Like, yeah, why couldn't all of nature be like this? This is so much nicer. Uh, yeah, I definitely give you a look like <laughs> you're out of your goddamn mind. So we just keep going through? That seems to be the plan. I don't have anything better. And uh, that's when you hear the fluttering of wings overhead. And you look up and for a fleeting moment you think you see another Pegasus. But uh, this uh, quadrupedal winged creature uh, makes a pass and uh, is certainly not a Pegasus. And it has a rider. And uh, this flying mount circles around and then it uh, just kind of lands in the middle of the street a hundred feet in front of you and you see a what what is left of the face of some woman most likely she was human but it's really hard to tell past uh, the horrible burns that her skin has uh, endured. Are you the welcoming uh, committee? Oh my god. Wielding a battle axe and an enormous wooden shield and wearing uh, very badly corroded and rusted metal armor. Is she riding? She is riding a a, a winged uh, quadrupedal creature uh, I'll just give it to you. It it looks like a hippogriff, uh, but to some like slain and turned equivalent. And uh, for for just a moment, uh, like Tiablith calls out, "You the wel- welcoming uh, committee." Uh, this undead woman glares at you, and she's like, "You can see even from this distance that." She's, like, looking pointedly at, like, each one of you in turn. Like, she's, like, either looking for someone specific or she's, like, committing your faces to memory. And then you see three additional creatures uh, fly through the air uh, from, like, they must have been, like, like skimming over the the treetops or the, the rooftops or, I guess, both what look like used to be three women now tower uh, monstrosities of ectoplasmic flesh horns and a single tremendous scythe-like claw instead of a hand Uh, and the the woman on hippogriff back points her axe at you all and she says where are you hiding her I can smell her on you Oh, hold on. Give me a sec here, because I had something. Our genius in the back of his mind is like, Oh, fuck. (laughs) Uh, 
God, I hate these names because I don't know which ones are female. <laughs> uh, uh, you can give me a knowledge history check uh, to do what I think you're doing. Yeah, what are you doing? Uh, yeah, 39 history. As soon as Alex described her, I had a feeling I knew who this was, but that comment kind of solidified it. So if this is who I think I it is, I want... no idea. I know. You will in a sec. I just... I, I want some kind of name to throw out there because like I have the names written down right here I just don't know which ones are mm-hmm. women and which ones are men from what is left of her appearance and riding what looks like it must must have used to have been her iconic hippogriff companion and kind of recognizing her from a relief carving that you recently saw you're pretty sure this is gustari fallenstag one of the seven knights sent to infiltrate geb many years ago who ended up uh, being captured by the undead king turned into grave knights and sent back to vigil to steal the corpse of erasni all right so um when she says when she asks, like, where is she? I can smell her. Um, Teolith's just going to kind of start laughing. <laughs> uh, you picked the wrong place, Gustari. Your queen's not here. She snarls, and then uh, a malicious grin creeps across her face, and she says, Then I suppose I'll make you tell me where she is. And she spurs her hippogriff to charge at you. Everybody roll initiative. Tiablith. 12. Uhtred. 25. Randolph. 22. Arginus. 16. Okay, up first is Uhtred. And anybody who wants to can give me two knowledge religion checks. One to identify... uh, Gustari, and the other to identify these three humongous women uh, behind her. Alright, Teoblith got a 32 and a 39. Uchir got a 36 and a 21. Randolph got a 14 and another 14. Uh, so Teoblith and Utrid both recognize Gustari as a grave knight, and... You also both recognize the other creatures as daughters of Urgathoa. Oh. Uh, so, Grave Knights are tricky because it is a template that you just slap on top of whatever the creature used to be. So, I feel like... Because you could have a Grave Knight of a 5th level character, you could have a Grave Knight of a 20th level character, and the CR would be completely different but the abilities that the template gives you don't change. So, like, getting information based on your role is like, what, what do I base that on? Um, I mean, it would you, like we've done before, we could just be getting information about the Grave Knight template. Right, but what, like, how do I identify a good DC to get information based on? Because it's just, the template is just plus two to your CR. And the CR is entirely based off of what the creature used to be. So, you know... My, my feeling with 
the situation and the checks that we just got, unless the Grave Knight template is really complex, and I is. feel I feel like just getting a bunch of info about the template is not out of like out of the realm of possibility yeah. considering how like how right. high our checks were and and whatnot right. My, because there's still a I'm lot of unknowns because of the nature of it being a template like we still don't know any you know i, I feel like I it's feel like it's I, almost this like this isn't the first thing we've dealt with that had a template and it was never an issue i think the only other thing was uh identifying a vampire when you were led to believe that's what Valthazar was. Yeah. Uh, and, and and I, I think the last kind of... time we had it was like we identified a creature with an obvious template so we were able to just ask questions about both. Right. But that that's, creature that's, has I know, its that's, own CR. And that's what I'm saying. This is different because we we have no real way to get insight into what her class and levels are. Maybe so that's here's... A, like a history check or something. So what I'm gonna I'm just gonna say you can ask one question per ten that you roll. How's that sound? Sure. So ten above the DC or ten total? No, just per per ten. So each of you. So Tia Blith and Uhtred can each ask three questions about Grave Knights. I got a couple. Unless you wanna. No, you go ahead and go first. Uh, take DR. Um, they do not have DR. Resistances. Oh, sorry. Uh, they do. Uh, they get. I don't know why that didn't come up. They get DR10 that is overcome by magic weapons. Uh, That's any weapon that has a plus one or higher? Yes. Uh, Any resistances? Uh, Energy resistances? Yeah. Uh, No. Give me one advantage, you know, offensive or defensive, your choice, that the template applies to when it's added to, like, you know, it's not a creature. You know about their channel destruction. You know that the weapon a Grave Knight wields deals additional energy damage. Uh, the energy type is uh, unique to the specific Grave Knight, so it could be acid, electricity, fire, or cold. Interesting. They do energy damage, but they don't get energy resistance? Correct. That is unusual. Alright, deal both. Does it have any immunities outside of just being undead? Yes, it does. Uh, it gains immunity to cold and electricity, and if it's... Time out. How does that not fall into res- energy resistance? Because you said resistance, and immunity is separate, and that's that's been a constant for a while now. Like, if, if you're super specific with your question, then I'm going to answer the specific question. But if you say, like what you just said, like, do they, like, give me an advantage, offensive or defensive, I don't care. Like, if you're just like, tell me something about their defenses... I might have told you that they have immunity to electricity and cold damage. What I wouldn't have said is, you know that they don't have energy resistances. So, I mean, asking specific questions can be helpful, but sometimes... uh, But sometimes sometimes, not helpful. But sometimes not helpful, depending on, you know, how how specific it is. Um, So, yeah, they are immune to cold and electricity damage, and if... You know, they they are always immune to cold and electricity damage. And based on, like, the specific theme of the Grave Knight, they might be immune to a third energy type. Uh, That kind of goes hand-in-hand with the channel destruction. Like, if they're key to fire damage, then they add immunity to fire damage to that. Okay. All right. And for the last two uh, 
dealer's choice. Just two more bits of information of your choosing. All right. Uh, you know about their devastating blast attack. Three times per day, Grave Knight can unleash a 30-foot cone of energy as a standard action. Uh, deals uh, 2d6 per three hit dice that the Grave Knight has. Uh, reflex halves the damage. Uh, the damage is the energy type determined by the Grave Knight's uh, theme. And I'll tell you about their rejuvenation. One day after a Grave Knight is destroyed, its armor begins to rebuild the undead horror's body. This process takes 1d10 days. If the body is destroyed before the t that time passes, the armor merely starts the process anew. After this time has elapsed, the Grave Knight awakens fully healed. But if you destroy the armor, then you're all good? Uh, yes, if you destroy the armor, then you're all good. What would be the appropriate knowledge... Like, I'm, I'm not sure what that would fall under, like... Because it's not, like, an armorsmith skill, right? <laughs> is it, a, yeah. is it Arcana? Uh, see, it's not listed in that ability how you destroy the armor, but, I mean, it's... I'll, yeah, I, well, let's I'll, worry about it. If I think we... I'll give it to you. Uh, merely breaking a Grave Knight's armor does not destroy it. It must be ruined, such as by being disintegrated or taken to the positive energy plane or thrown into the heart of a volcano. You guys have access to one of those things. Yeah, that was super convenient. Right? Good job, Tom. <laughs> Take a Manny point. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And uh, you also identify the Daughters of Urgothoa. Uh, within the Church of the Goddess of Undeath, few more coveted stations exist than Daughter of Urgothoa. Yet no high priest can bestow the title, and no living worshiper can take the role. Rather, Daughters of Urgothoa are selected by the fickle goddess herself, chosen from her most zealous and accomplished priestesses only at the moment of their deaths. Uh, these are large-sized undead. And, let's see, you got 39 and 21. Matt, you want to lend me that 9? <laughs> Tia Blith, you can ask four questions about Daughters of Urgothoa, and Uhtred, you can ask one. Okay, I know what I want to ask. All right. I would like to know any defensive-related energy thing. <laughs> okay, there you go. Um, they have no energy resistances or immunities. There you go. You even got a two-fur answer out of it. Um, I would like to know any DR. They have no DR. Are they flying on similar creatures? Nope, they are floating through the air. Well, there's one. Uh, give me their... Uh, how do they move? Uh, they have a 40-foot fly speed with perfect maneuverability. It is sustained magically. Okay. And then give me one offensive ability and one defensive ability. So, uh, as I said before, they have like one more or less normal-looking hand, albeit a, a clawed hand. Uh, the other hand is literally, it just ends in a scythe blade. And you know that uh, this, uh, called their Great Claw, uh, has a disease key to it. Uh, need to make a fortitude save versus bubonic plague. Oh, good uh, lord. It is a disease uh, with an immediate onset. Uh, it ticks once per day, and it deals 1d4 con damage, and the target is fatigued. You need two consecutive saves to cure it. Uh, so that was an offensive thing. You want defensive? 
you know that all daughters of Urgothoa come with a uh, consecrate effect, or sorry, a desecrate effect uh, centered on themselves. And desecrate imbues an area with negative energy. The DC to resist channel negative, channeled negative energy within this area gains a plus three profane bonus. Every undead creature in this area gains a plus one profane bonus on all attack rolls, damage rolls, and saving throws. An undead creature created within or summoned into such an area gains plus one hit point per hit die. Uh, if the desecrated area contains an altar, shrine, or other permanent fixture dedicated to a deity, all of these modifiers are doubled. So, yep, that's all your info. Up first is Uhtred. Okay, I'm going to cast a mirror image on myself. Okay. Uh, 1d4... Does that go up to plus four now that we leveled up? I think uh, it might. I think so too. So that'd be seven mirrors. Ooh. But I'm only gonna move up. She was. Oh, she's closer than that, right? Uh, I'll move up 25 feet. Um, and I will spend a Arcana point to Keen Vallow. And that is Randolph. Let's get hasted. First things first, I'm going to cast Haste, and... Love it. I'm a little afraid to send Thalias in? I'll have him stick by me so I can get his AC. Hopefully they'll come into us. But I am going to cast Haste. Thalias will hold his action, and if one of them comes close, he'll blast him. And take a five-foot step up. So Haste, five-foot step, Thalias holds his action, he's going to blast anyone who comes... He's like my little protector boy. Anyone who comes close to us. Alright, it is Gustari's turn, and she's not going to pussyfoot around and charge right at Uhtred. And she like on her on her way towards Uhtred, she's just like like borderline frothing at the mouth and she's just shouting, I'll rip you apart until I make you tell me where Arasni is And she's gonna swing her axe. And I'm gonna use a swift action since my ability uses my next Wasn't turn. It? I'm gonna use another Arcana point to uh, uh, boost my AC. All right, that's a 47 to hit. Oh wow! Yeah, that's what? Hit. But the I do have seven fuck? mirrors. Yep. So I'm gonna roll a D8, and a one is Utrid. That's a one. What do you think you are, me? <laughs> <laughs> and we'll see you next week. Oh my god. On the Inspired Incompetence Podcast. See ya. See ya. Uh, see ya.